Good morning, everyone. Friends, in our first reading, um, at the time, uh, King David uh, was experienced, and his country, his kingdom is what they were, of course, um, were experiencing some unity and some peace. Everything was going pretty well. And then finally, King David says, you know what? I live in a cedar house, and God's in some tent, meaning the tab- tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle. So, uh, of course, we hear what happens. I'm going to build him a house. <laughs> God sends his messenger. Uh, Did I ask you to do that? You know, he does it very politely. God's not upset. He doesn't say, Did I ask you to do that? No. Instead, the response is, I'm going to build you a dynasty, a house that will go on and on and on forever. And uh, in 587 B.C., uh, there was trouble in the kingdom. It looked like that was not going to be possible anymore. But remember, Joseph is a descendant from the bloodline of King David. That's why the angel mentions, and from the house of David is Joseph. So Joseph, although is not the biological father of Jesus, In his time, Joseph only has to claim the child. All he has to do is say, that's mine, and legally it is, and there you go. God has all kinds of plans, doesn't he? See how that works? It looked like in 587 the promise of God would not happen, and yet it did. And St. Paul tells us, Gentiles and Jews, salvation has come, and it is in Jesus Christ and him alone. And then the gospel tells us how that's going to be, really, and that the fulfillment of that promise is done. Jesus is from the line of David. And the angel says, I, and God will give him, it's a little bit tricky, God will give him the throne uh, of his father David. It's kind of one of those hyperboles that happens <laughs> in the Jewish language. But words are important. The words of the angels are important. The word of Mary was important. The word of God is the most important. My friends, so I want to kind of use that to breach into uh, the word amen. Amen uh, is a word that has some loose meanings depending on how it's used and when. uh, when. And um, it is a word uh, used very often by Christians. We've already done it a couple times uh, in this Mass we say it over and over in our liturgies and in our private prayer. And as the case often can be, when we use a word so often, uh, we seldom think of what we are saying and what uh, we mean by it and what it really means. For many, amen uh, is a kind of a period at the end of what we were saying before. And God, I want you to do this, amen. Or people will be like, Ooh, mercy, I got that. Amen, amen, amen. Period, period, period. (laughs) The dictionary of the Bible, the Oxford, says that amen is the Hebrew word for I agree, let it be, so be it. My friends, when I got to thinking about this, this implies that amen was an everyday expression in the Hebrew language. And that word found its way into, if you will, Hebrew liturgical life. And you know this already, our own liturgy has its roots in Hebrew liturgical language. 
And so we finish each Christian prayer by stating our consent, because amen is a form of consent. We say amen, which means I agree. Let it be, so be it. Mary said to the angel, let it be done to me. So what she says to the angel is amen to the angel's invitation into God's plan and will for her life. And my friends, because of her amen, we have something that we call Christmas. Mary is an incredible model of amen. Anything she said amen to became reality in her life. My friends, she did not give a hypothetical assent to God's will, but real assent when she said, Amen. She did not discern God's will for her life and then start questioning all the wherefores, why, when, what. She didn't do any of that. His will came to be in her simply because she let it be. Now, my friends, some folks call this obedience to God's will, and so it is. However, St. Jose Escriva wrote something about this, which has caught my attention, and he said, uh, it certainly is obedience, but how about if, and he didn't say it that way, I am, uh, we call correspondence to grace. And I thought, yes, yes, that is better said. Correspondence to grace means uncovering God's will day by day as best we can and corresponding with that will as best we understand it. And that way we move with God's impulses rather than our own. And I deliberately looked for that word, God's impulses. For God is real, right? It's not just some thought. And Jesus came, and he's the icon of the Father, and we saw Jesus. So I can say God's impulses, we began to move with them. And this is a solid way by which the disciple of the Lord makes being a servant of the Lord a tangible reality in their life. Luke reports to us that Mary said, I am the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done according to your word. When Mary said that, God's saving plan for us was able to enter into a very critical phase. Mary's ascent to God's plan determined where the human nature of the Savior would come from. It would come from Mary. And my friends, all of us here have become beneficiaries of Mary's amen. She herself came to know the joy of doing God's will, doing the right thing in the right place at the right time. It is the definition of doing God's will in one's life. Mary's amen, the right thing in the right place at the right time for both our salvation and for our own personal history. My friends, there is a similar rightness of action, place, and time in our amens to the will of God and to his plan 
for us. Yes. Uh, perhaps not as momentous as when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and we have the conception and the nativity. Uh, but nonetheless, it impacts. My friends, yesterday 21 men said amen to God and were ordained deacons for the archdiocese. My prayer is that we have 21 priests, <laughs> but we give God glory. There are men to God, and God's plan in their life is going to impact the archdiocese. You see what I'm getting at? Our amens have the ability to impact not just ourselves, but others. Remember, many times people come, oh, I don't feel God so distant from me. I don't know, I feel empty. And all right, I get it. Perhaps lacking this fundamental connection with our Lord is the reason why so many Christians feel disappointed or discouraged or distant in the faith. When we live the correspondence of wills, ours and God's, on a daily basis, we experience the presence of God and the assurance of salvation in a way that eludes us in other forms of religion and its ways. And, we be, and really we come to know in our hearts what St. Paul called the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4, 7. Living our life as um, God's will is for us good. And my friends, I've heard intellectual people uh, go on the attack. And uh, by making our will and God's will harmonious, um, we are not becoming a slave to God. And uh, we are not abandoning our intelligence. And nor do we push aside our conscience, which God has given us. It has to do with the graced road of freedom and what we call mature faith. It has to do with attaining the full stature of Christ that St. Paul references in Ephesians 4, 13. My friends, we need only to look to Christ when we get confused about anything. I don't know, I don't know. Look to Christ. I don't know what I'm saying. Look to Christ. What am I supposed to be doing? Look to Christ. I'm going to get a t-shirt. Look to Christ. Before they start, Father, I don't know. Jesus followed his heavenly Father's will perfectly, and he did so in perfect freedom. His sacrifice and death for us was a charge he had from his Father, and at the same time, it was a matter of freely laying down his life and taking it up again freely, for he himself told us that. I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down on my own. And he went further to say, I have power to lay it down and power to take it up again. John 10, 17-19. My friends, God's will for us does not enslave us. It allows us to be servants of the word as Mary was. It is in serving the word small w here, meaning God's will, day by day, word by word, action by action, that the freedom we most desire is actually realized. 
We do not abandon our intellect following his will, but we use it in a deeper way, in a deeper sense, at a deeper level. Nor do we push aside conscience in following his will, but find it actually moves us in full freedom into the ways of God's mysterious plans. To do God's will is ultimately to discover and to do one's own deepest and most gracious desires. My friends, you know my story. I've only been a priest for 12 years, and you can tell by looking at me I'm not in my 30s, right? So that means I was doing my own thing. What am I getting at? I'm, the homily I wrote is because of me and what I did. Did I do the God's will in the beginning? No. I sassed him and I ran off the other way. And I learned, don't run away from him, run towards him. And I discovered that though challenging and even scary, when he put on my heart to be a priest, just do it. And I've come to know peace that I've never known before. And I've come to know a love. The only thing closest was my mother's love for me. What am I telling you? Find out God's will for you and do it. Because it is fruitful and it is peaceful. It is challenging. And it is an adventure. Do that. Don't run away. Don't do what your pastor did. Run towards him. Don't run away from him. Hmm?